Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. The Mile 40 podcast is back. And today I have a very special guest, Pasquale Vacchio. Pasquale is a professional athlete and professional fitness instructor. I've known him over the last couple of years. I personally train with Pasquale. And over the period of getting to know him, I've learned a little bit about his background, his story. His narrative really fits into the mold of the Mile 40 podcast. You know, throughout his career as an athlete, even through his childhood, there were definitely some pits that we're going to dive into. Uh, but before we get in there, Pasquale, thanks for joining me today. Um, no problem. Glad to be here. Really appreciate you being here. You know, just to kind of lay the land for all the listeners out there, can you walk people through your career as a football player? Uh, a quick summary. Uh, I played high school. I played a lot of sports growing up, but obviously football became my best sport. So a lot of focus, you know, I, most of my focus was on football. I got a full scholarship to play CW Post out of high school. Um, things didn't go so well as a freshman in high school, uh, freshman in college. I had lost a scholarship, and then I ended up going to a, a community college in California for two years. And then I also played one semester at New Mexico State, where I also there was another hiccup. And I finally finished my junior and senior year of football at a Division three school in Buffalo State. And then from there, I went to the NFL Combine in 2013, had a pro day as well. A month later, did not perform as well as I wish I did, and basically got stuck playing in uh, arena football for five to six years, otherwise known as the underground, <laughs> the underground world of uh, football that not a lot of people know about unless you live in the Midwest or the West. It's very, it's not too uh, prevalent in the East Coast, but that's a quick summary of the past, the last ten to twelve years of my life, as quick okay. as you can go. Got it. And and now, are you spending most of your time training? So now, basically, I'm uh, done playing football. I was actually going to going to play my last season of uh, arena football in 2020 from March to about August. And then COVID had come, ruined the season, uh, kept putting the season on hold. I was stuck in a – It was I spent 12 weeks of my quarantine in a Marriott in Spokane, Washington. A little bit different. Than, everyone has a different version of their quarantine, but I was in a Marriott in Spokane. Didn't really leave much. Uh, food was brought into us. We were kind of just like everyone else, confused. The state of confusion. The world was at a, or at least the United States was at a state of confusion for I want to say like the end of March till almost like almost mid June to be honest. And then I uh, the season finally got canceled, and I came back home and I actually uh, moved in an apartment in Bayside. And then I actually a couple a month later I met you. I believe. Got it. So yeah. safe to say that your path wasn't necessarily the straightest trajectory. Right. Lots of, yeah. lots of unknowns, lots of variables. I would say a rocky, a rocky road is the best way to explain it for sure. Got it. Well, there, there's a lot I want to dive into, but I guess, you know, I overheard one of your, uh, your gym's co-owners call you the best trainer that he's ever seen. Um, and it's funny because, you know, when we had met two years ago, you know, 
contextually speaking, I looked at you. I thought you were a nice guy. I thought you were in shape. I thought perhaps you only knew how to take care of taking care of yourself. I never thought that, you know, I was going to hear two years later that, you know, I've been working with, you know, the best trainer um, that an owner of an institution ever hired. You know, I want to start off there really quick. I I think that, you know, you project a little bit of an aura where people recognize that you're an athlete, but what is it that you think that makes you, you know, kind of distinguished as, as a fitness instructor? I think that um, the six months I worked in, I worked in the Rosette Equinox. It taught me a lot about like not only the business side of personal training, but it also taught me about like just how to train people with certain types of injuries and like little things that are wrong with them. Like someone has a lower back issue. Someone has a shoulder issue. Someone's limited mobility in their knee, how to basically create a safe environment for that person to train and burn calories without hurting them and actually then making them feel good after the workout. Cause you know, and I could train any trainer in about a day or two to convince someone how to do a chest and tricep or a back, like a mass gaining bodybuilder day, but to kind of just, Every single client, like that's the the hardest part about being a trainer is switching speeds. So I've learned this from one of the better trainers at the time, because when I was working at the Equinox, I naturally just paid attention to the most successful people in the industry that were there. Like, I'm not going to waste my time looking at someone that doesn't know what they're doing. I'm looking at, I'm looking at and paying attention and almost taking mental notes on someone who's doing a hundred sessions a week or 80 sessions a week. Why the, why are these people keep going back to them? Whether it's there, he knows he he knows them on a a friendly a friend basis, or he actually knows what he's doing a little bit of fitness or a little bit of both. So it's basically knowing your audience, just like anything else, and just like I said, my background in sports and trying to make it to the NFL also helped me with all the kids I train because I know how to make not make, but I know the exercises to do to make someone faster, more agile, stronger. And then like also on the other end, I also was overweight in the beginning of my career. So I know how to even break it down and get lose weight at a rapid rate to try to get to your performance. So you, basically everyone wants to be someone they're not when it comes to training, just like something in life. When someone comes in the gym, a skinny person wants to get big arms. When a, a big, a larger, not fat and overweight person comes into the gym, they want to lose weight and lose body fat. So you have to do, it's a very, a lot of trainers make it much harder than it is. Like by trying to be all creative with these exercises and stuff like that, it's kind of just like stay to the basics and then switch it up a little bit and keep the person guessing. And then also help them with their injuries and little things. And you know that each person has a little like a lower back or like for someone like you, your lower back, it's tight because you're doing long distance running all the time. So like you, you, you got to know to stretch the lower back a little bit, give the lower back a little bit of rest after you after you have those long running days, don't attack the lower back, do something else give it a day or two before we attack that. It's kind of just, it's all about switching speeds and being able to switch speeds. So I guess, you know, taking it a step further, growing up, did you ever envision that you would be sharing your craft or did you always envision, you know, your craft was going to build you up, right? Did you envision yourself, you know, going through the ranks uh, of the football hierarchy, eventually going pro and then just kind of being, Pasquale the superstar or did you imagine you know that you were going to be passing things on I mean I definitely didn't in the very from age like 23 when the process started of trying to make it to the NFL from like 23 to 27 my brain was just so set on becoming an NFL linebacker outside inside linebacker wherever it was it wasn't until about like 
I was like 28 years old. I would come home for four or five months of the year. Then I'd go back to playing arena football. I would start playing. I would start training people for like four or five months, mainly athletes, because I didn't want to build my clientele up too much and then leave and then come back. It, was, it wasn't right. So I think it was about when I was 28 years old, I was like, you know what? If I can't make it, I'm going to make sure that I could do everything in my power to show the kids that have the potential how to make it and what, like, show them what they need to do to be the best versions and the best athletes of themselves. And I kind of just was like, it's kind of rewarding, to be honest, because I get to, especially with the town I grew up in and where I own part of this gym now in Viking, it's never been a football school. It's never been, it's always been like a, you know, a country club situation where it's been a lacrosse, a golf town, a baseball town. But now we're the last year we won a Long Island championship. First team, first time in the history of our whole entire district that we won a Long Island championship in football. And going into next year, this season coming up in September, we're preseason ranked number one for small schools in the in Long Island. I'm not saying that I it's hundred percent to do with me. The coaches and the kids also put in the work. But I'm just saying that I think I helped change the culture around where I grew up into becoming like an f- actual football. Pr- it's actually a program now. Kids want to work out. They want to get better. They, they want to be as good as the class was before that. So it's kind of building a little bit of a culture. Not like a, obviously not as much as like a St. Anthony situation, but that, you know, it's headed in that direction. How would you, um, how would you characterize yourself, you know, as a teammate in the locker room? Well, you know, who were you in the locker room? Yeah, see, this is a, people always thought I was like the person giving speeches or uh, like, or like a captain, like uh, I w- believe it or not. I was never, I was never the the person in the locker room or the, the teammate in the locker room that would give speeches or I was always like the quiet one that would like make jokes, but like knew when to make the jokes. And like, I was always to myself and like people thought I was a little weird because I would get in this zone before pregame at practice, I'd be vocal, especially towards the end of my career with the rookies. I would, I would definitely much more vocal towards the end, but in the beginning of my career, even like towards 80% of my career, I was always the one that was just really silent. No one, everyone knew not to talk to me until about like about an hour before the game. And then I was just the most vocal person in the world. As soon as the game started or an hour before the game, I'm talking smack. I'm joking around. I'm having fun. I'm in my happy place. I, was, so the, I would the get a little was like nervous. a haven for you. Yeah, it was like the complete, you know, that speech, uh, anyone, a lot of people see this movie, Any Given Sunday, yeah. Al Pacino goes, those two inches in front of your face is the only thing that matters right now. And he's yeah. talking about that little space between your nose and your health, your face mask. Yep. If you don't, if you haven't played the game of football, you don't quite understand that speech because when you put that helmet on, nothing else matters in life because you have to protect yourself. Otherwise, you, a lot of bad things can happen to you physically. And you're only thinking about really whether it's your to tackle, to block, to make a catch. That's all you're thinking about. And it's a complete escape. There's no other, there's no other form of escape that I can even think about. It comes where, close to that. Where, where did your passion for the game start? I think, well, so when I was younger, about when I, was, I lost my father when I was 14 years old. It was right after my freshman year of football, JV football season. So it was my freshman year. It was January, right after the season. I was playing basketball at the time, JV basketball. Uh, I passed away around January 4th. And then, like, I was just an angry kid, like, uh, as a 13, a 13 or 14 year old, you know, it's a, a really bad time to lose your father. So I, there's a lot of questions that I was trying to ask, but no one could answer them. So I was very frustrated. I 
saw a lot of, uh, they, they recommended me to see a lot of therapists. I ended up talking to my one therapist at the school who actually, he was a Red Sox fan. That was the only part that I didn't like about him. He had a big Red Sox hat. I remember staring at the first day I went in there. I was like, I'm not sure this is going to work out with that Red Sox hat. But uh, he helped me a little bit realize that like, you know, I could use the game of football to, to really deflect my anger. And I could take my anger out on the field because you could do things on a football field that you can't do on the street. Because uh, the things you could do on a football field, you would get arrested for on the street, to be honest. You can't just run into someone as hard as you can and knock them over. You get to lift them up and you get to do it again. Yeah. And it's kind of a sport. The best way to describe football is controlled violence. Two yeah. words, controlled violence. So I think that really helped me. Uh, that's really when I just knew that football was going to be it, to be honest. Because I started excelling after just getting angry and taking it out on the field, to be honest. Yeah. Um, did you get into a lot of trouble in high school during that period? Yeah, I did. So, uh, freshman, sophomore, even through my senior year, I was not, a, uh, I was just, I wasn't, I, I don't want to say I was a bad kid, but I wasn't necessarily directed in the right ways. I, I would cut class a lot. I would leave. I mean, I would, I would do like the normal high school things. Like, I guess, you know, it was cool to sneak in three beers on a Friday or Saturday night. I, I wasn't doing anything crazy. I wasn't doing crazy drugs or anything like that. I was, you know, smoking weed every time I got the chance because I thought it was what the cool kids did. Yeah. I was drinking on that weekends when I shouldn't be at 15, 16 years old. And I would just, I wish that the only thing I, I don't regret anything, but I wish that I just was t would have taken school more seriously in high school because then I would have been able to play at a higher level right away. Yeah. Instead of going to a division two, I wish someone would have told me the importance of getting a 2.8, 3.0 GPA in high school, how important that was rather than just, I was always the kid who just the bare minimum just to go to the next grade. During that period, you know, what did you envision for yourself? You were going through a lot. You're right. It is a tough time to lose a parent. Um, yeah. And, you know, especially when you're looking for, for answers and you don't have, um, you know, the right people in front of you to guide you. You know, where did you envision your life going? Did you envision a spiral I mean, or did you envision football as the way out that early on? Actually, actually I, I envisioned the spiral like I... If you would have told me like when I was 16 years old that I would have went, did what I did the past 12 years, I would have I would probably laughed. I probably envisioned myself just going and becoming a union worker like my dad did because I got the in. Um, been a very overweight person, smoked cigarettes, probably married with three kids. Um, a lifestyle that I did not want. Like I promised myself that I did not want to, I was better than that lifestyle is what I told myself, to be honest. I kept telling myself, and then senior year happened and I had seven sacks in one game, second game of the season versus Valley Stream North. And then a couple of scholarships started rolling in and my football coach turned to me and goes, you're going to play college football. Do you maybe want to start working out? And I was like, coach, I work out. He goes, you work out once a week. So then after I got a, I got a phone call from, I believe the head coach is Marty Fine, Bryant, you know, it's a, it's a division one school now. It was a division two school at the time. Sure. The Bryant Bulldogs up in Rhode Island. They were like, we want you to come up for a visit. And that's when my grandpa got all happy. And he was like, wow, you got this, you know? You're going to play a college football player. He took me up. I visited the University of Bryant. And then right there, I would say like literally week three or four of my uh, senior year of football is when I knew that football was my, football was my way out. Got it. 
And I know yeah. you're very close with your grandparents. Um, you know, on the back of your dad passing, was it a collective effort at that point to kind of raise um, you? I think honestly, my grandfather, my grandfather pretty much took over as my father figure. Um, I moved in with him and my grandma, my mother, and my because my parents were separated when at the time of my father's death, my mom had lived with the grandparents already. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of going back and forth and doing the split custody thing for, you know, age like seven to 14. And then my dad passed. And then I would still, my dad has an identical twin Mm -hmm. who obviously took the the loss of my father, the worst out of everyone, because that was his best friend. Like it was really tough on him. He's still alive to this day. Yeah. 500 days clean right now, maybe 600. I'm very proud of him. Lorenzo. Um, but my grandfather pretty much raised me when he, he worked a lot, but he would go to every single one of the games he could. He would drive me to every one of the travel soccer, the travel basketball. He was honestly, it was like, um, what's the word I'm looking for or not rewarding, but he got, he had three girls, my mom and her twin and the sister, he had three girls growing up. So he finally basically got a son. He just got an overdeveloped 14 year old one. Both and your parents little, were twins? Both my dad and my mom were twins. Wow. So you, don't, a, you don't hear that often. I think there's like a 50% chance. My doctor said that I'll have twins who have wow. babies. That's crazy. Um, um, congratulations to you, by the way, on becoming a father. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing and uh, really appreciate it. And life changes, um, you know, in a, in a second uh, when they come out. You know, moving forward in, into college now, you had mentioned... You know, you took the leap, you took the scholarship, and then you got into a little bit more trouble in your freshman year. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I had taken this. I could have went to Bryant Bryant or CW Post, basically. Those are my two like options. I could have walked on other places and got less money, but they pretty much offered me full rides. So I took the one that was closest to home. I mean, at the time, it sounded like the smartest thing to do, but that was probably where I went wrong. Because so my the fall semester I was fine I redshirted uh, there was like four senior linebackers so I didn't even want to waste a year of eligibility just playing garbage minutes so I took it you know a year they were like no get your grades up a little bit you get to work out for a year you're in college you'll be a freshman next year you know you have four years to go the starting position yours so the, I did the right thing actually in the fall I was on scout de- scout defense I was going hard I was working out and then. Basically, my friends came home from college my freshman year. And then I was like, do you guys have to meet my new football friends? Mm. And then my football friends are all monsters. Like, I'm the smallest one. They're 6'5", 6'4". Yeah. They're all from out of state. They're some are from Queens, Holy Cross, and stuff like that. Right before the spring semester started, we decided to go out as a huge group. It was like me, seven of my football friends, and like four or five of my friends from home that were home from college at the time. Yeah. So we went to... Uh, Dublin pub, which is one of those Hofstra bars. Sure. I don't, I, I'm sure it's open now, but there's a new name, Yeah. but uh, it's one of those Hofstra bars. And uh, we got very drunk when we were underage kids. They were serving alcohol. That's what, you know, at the time, all you had to do was get in things yep. much, much different times. Yeah. Uh, um, we got very, very intoxicated. And then there was a, a group of Adelphi baseball kids and we kind of got into basically like a, an all out, like, like, I mean, there's footage of it. I, I, I don't have it anymore, thank God, but there is footage of it because I spent about 18 months in court looking at the footage like, wow, wow. I don't even remember some of this. Yeah. 
And me, one of my friends, actually, I won't say his name, but we're going on his bachelor party this weekend in New Orleans. It's funny. It's 13 years later. Um, He actually got arrested with me and two of the football kids. So four people got arrested. I guess the rest of the people got, you know, got away. They fled the scene. I mean, don't ever get in a fight, but if you do get in a fight, you know, get out of there as fast as possible is my only advice. (laughs) Gotcha. But uh, yeah, so we, uh, we were there on a Friday. So we had to stay there Saturday and Sunday. We got bailed up Monday. And then uh, when we showed up to campus, me and the kid who actually lost our scholarship, my other two friends didn't have much to lose. They were just you know, yeah. going back to college. Yeah. But uh, Coach Collins called us into the office and they stripped us of our scholarships. And they were like, you could play next year as unscholarship players. And we're both looking at him like, who's got $40,000 for the school? Right. Like, not my mom, not my dad. So he ended up going to Nassau. Okay, and I ended up uh, deciding to leave because I just felt like staying home was not the right thing for me. Because I didn't want to go down the block to Nassau again and wrapped up in the same situation. Did a little bit of research and realized that there was a a large amount of uh, community colleges in the state of California. I think there's seventy two to seventy five in the whole state, Mm -hmm. and uh, they give scholarships pretty often, two year scholarships to kids coming out of those. uh, community college in California. So I took my talents to Ventura community college where a coach, I got on the phone with a couple of the coaches. This guy, John Mack was the best. He was the best seller on the phone. So I went and visited with my grandfather and my uncle, actually, who I already spoke about. We visited Ventura, met the kids. There were a lot of the kids were from out of state. The out of state housing was set up. Basically it was pretty much free. It was community college, went there for two years, learned a lot about life and fitness. Yeah. I went, showed up 270, came home the next summer at 235 pounds. And people were like, what the hell? You know what I'm saying? What's going new, on here? New man out here. Exactly. How, how did you feel about yourself, you know, post-scuffle, you know, during that period? I just think that I, I learned a lot in the fact that fighting is not the answer. Physically fight. Did you feel like um, you got it out of your system? Like maybe like you were waiting for that like, like people one ask big me mess all the time. up. People ask me all the time because I'm a bigger person and kind of yeah. jacked. I used to be a little more jacked, but yeah. <laughs> they ask me all the time, you know, how many fights have you been in? Or uh, I'm surprised you don't get into fights more. Uh, now when I go out, the bouncers all try to become my friends immediately. Like he, anyone that sees me is like, dude, why is everyone trying to become your friend? Because I'm actually, I just learned that the fighting is just not the, it's just not the answer. If you do it for a living and you're UFC and you're boxing, you're, that's a completely different thing. But going out in the public and just getting into a scuffle, it leads to, it's either you lose the fight and you sue someone yeah. or you win the fight and get sued. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing that happens nowadays. So it's just not good for anyone to do that. I recommend no. non-fighting. <laughs> um, no, that, that makes sense. And um, I'm sure all, yeah. the, all the listeners out there appreciate the guy. To answer your question, I guess, yes, I got it out of my system. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that hearing everything and, and your experience in high school and even going through therapy, you know, I, I think sometimes we all need to just find that place where we just like hit the bottom. And yeah. I don't know if you would say that was your bottom, but in the context of this narrative, it sounds like it could be, you know, yeah. two, two days, you know, until you got bailed out and then kind of like losing a scholarship and then not necessarily going the, anywhere big, going to another yeah. community college. You know? Yeah, that was pretty, I would say that was the the lowest I've been as a, I mean, I've been in lower places like mentally maybe, but I guess as a whole, that was probably the, the deepest hole I've climbed myself out of for sure. was right then and there, like those two days after the holding cell. And then that like whole next month just trying to figure out where I was going to go to community college. 
basically was the no, I had to prove good. everyone wrong. I had to prove everyone wrong. Absolutely. And, and so now, like, let's start the process up, right? So now yeah. you figured your way into a community college that probably no one has ever heard of in California. Yeah. And, you know, you still have it in you to play ball. Um, and I want to walk the listeners through how you eventually ended up, um, you know, playing arena football, because I heard the story. It's pretty cool how that ended yeah. up happening, but I want to, you know, build that trajectory now from, you know, getting in trouble, onboarding, you know, in California and then, and working your way up. After the two years in California, why well, once again, um, I couldn't pass a transferable math class. I just, I didn't, I don't know if I didn't want to, or couldn't actually do it academically. So I had to stay the fall semester of my junior year to take a, a transfer of a math class, which I passed. And then, but now I only have one year of eligibility left to play division one football. So I'm thinking no schools were trying to offer me a one year scholarship and they could get two years out of everyone else. So my friend Kurt Martino at the time was playing at a division three school in at Buffalo state. And he said, division three has a, a different rule. It's not like the NCAA allows five years. It's a five year window to play four years of football. Division three rule is that you're, as long as you're not in school full time, meaning 12, you're not registered for 12 credits per semester. You have 12 semesters to play four years. So I only registered to play that one math class. So I wasn't a full-time student that year. So I had two years to play. They get me into Buffalo State. I'm a history major. I somehow got five A's in history in junior college. So they brought me in as a history major. My junior year, I crushed it. Um, I should have went All-American. I guess my team wasn't that good. I went first team All-Conference. I led the team in tackles. I had like 100 tackles, 10 sacks, seven interceptions in junior year in eight games. Then I was preseason All-American going into my senior year. Crushed it in the weight room. Absolutely. Well, before I get to my senior year at Buffalo State, I actually tore my labrum my junior year. I got surgery. Didn't play spring football going into my senior year, but I got healthy enough. I played. Played my senior year at Buffalo State. And basically, it was week one. We won versus Cortland, which we haven't won in like 10 years. So we're 1-0. We're going to Wisconsin-Whitewater to play a, a non-conference a non-conference game versus Wisconsin-Whitewater, which is basically the Alabama Division Three football for the people that are listening. Wisconsin-Whitewater is, I would say they've won probably seven of the past 14 Division Three national championships. So at the time, they were just, you know, they put us on the schedule like an Alcorn State or an Appalachian State, a smaller mm-hmm. school at the time, just to, you know, fill in and give us a, a look or whatever. So we drove... Couldn't even take a flight. We drove it. It was a two-day drive to Wisconsin. And we showed up there. They were 47-0. They made us go out there. It was their ring ceremony. They got their national championship rings. We're probably like 50-point underdogs, literally. And I called the defense over. I go, listen. I looked around and I said, listen, no one, we don't have a chance to win this game. But the only chance we have to win this game is that we have to believe in ourselves. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, if they don't score, they don't win. It's a very simple thing. Like our offense isn't going to score today. I'm just being like completely honest, guys. I this is one of the speeches that I've owned that I've, I've probably given three speeches my whole career. This is one of them. It was I could tell you almost every person in that hall. They're all inner city Buffalo kids with like two or three Long Island kids actually as well. And I just convinced everyone to just like 
this is a heavy run team. Like I knew they were, they were, they were so run dominant. They were huge, big boys, like corn fed big boys that were going to just run the ball down your throat. I right, guys, we stopped the run. We win. We make them throw the ball. We win. Little did you know it. We won that game in Wisconsin, seven to six. We held them to two field goals. They had 44 rush. I remember the stats. Like it was just a 44 rushing attempts for 147 rushing yards. And at halftime, I jogged over because of the, I wouldn't say piece of junk that I was, but I was, I like to talk smack and get on the yeah. people's skin. I jogged over to the head coach. And I was like, coach, I think it's a good idea. You start throwing the ball. <laughs> he goes, number seven, I want to see what you do. I want to see if you could do what you did in the first half and the second half. I said, very bad idea, coach, throw the ball, throw the ball. And I, my coach pulled me away from him. He's like, stop telling him what to do. Stop telling him what to do. I go, he's never going to throw the ball, coach. He's, this guy is so, he thinks he's the man. He thinks this game's over, believe me. He literally, they threw four passing attempts the whole game. I was so confused. Like, why would they run the ball? I would just, I kept, I was calling the defense. I was telling everyone to just basically, we're engage eight. Anyone who's played Madden, we engaged eight every play. And it was most fun we've ever had. The coolest I've ever felt in college. I was the cover of D3Football.com for about five days until we lost the following week. That's awesome. But after that game is when uh, two NFL scouts had called my coach because I had 26 tackles, 21 solo tackles in that game. And that basically gave me my shot. Got it. So yeah, that's how I got You're going shot. to the combine from there. So then I go to the combine from there. Terrible combine performance. Then at the pro day, I had another one April 5th, 2013. About two weeks after the combine, three weeks after the combine, I got a shot to run in front of 18 NFL teams with five other Division One players at the Ralph, the Ralph Wilson uh, practice study. Where the, I think they have a new one now. Bill's just yep. built one. Yeah. But uh, I'd run a shitty 40 again. And now I'm really upset. My agent's just like, I'm really sorry. Like, you know, they're not going to take Division Three. Their linebacker was going to run a 49, 40 a day. It's just not going to happen. So I played a semi pro game. This is a story that you don't even know about, Pashoy. I played a semi-pro game about maybe uh, a month or two later, like in the midsummer, and uh, I played one one quarter, the first quarter, and I played a little D end, a little middle linebacker, and I killed these people. I killed them. I had three sacks. I had a pick. I I was just crushing people. I was so much faster and bigger than everyone. And there was a arena football scout in the crowd, and I had no idea about it. He comes over to me at the end of the first quarter. He goes, don't go back in that game. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I'm the defense coordinator for the Cedar Rapids Titans IFL team. He gave me a contract, a rookie contract, like on the spot there. Huh. And an email on the spot. Coach Custer is his name. I don't it's know incredible. if he's still... Yep, it's a very random story. And then in February, I went to camp in Cedar Rapids, lived in a hotel, met a bunch of ex-NFL players. I thought I was like, wow, really? This is it? Like, this is my chance? Yeah. Had a really good rookie season, a couple defensive player of the weeks, one concussion that I remember. And then there I became an uh, arena legend, basically, at, at this position. I was uh, 250 pounds playing middle linebacker. The next season, I didn't play arena football. I almost okay. got married. I almost got married. Okay. And basically, this girl made me choose football or her. And at the time, I was 25 years old. I'm choosing football. Yeah. So I chose football. Any regrets no, there? No, no regrets. Actually, none at all. I uh, then changed my position, got a little smaller because the game was getting faster. So a couple of the guys that had played Cedar Rapids, football is basically very similar. It's not a cult, but you bring your own guys in. Like if you're, you're, The head coach gets hired to where he brings his guys in, just like anywhere else. 
And uh, they got my coach had got hired to the team in Spokane, so everyone was in Spokane. I lost a little bit of weight. I played a new position, which is more of a strong safety-like position. And then I got myself in the best shape I've ever been in. I was about 227 pounds, fast, strong as I've ever been. And then uh, I got a shot again at the end of that season. They flew me to San Diego and I got another shot to run a 40-yard dash for the Chargers. Okay. And I just can't run a 40-yard dash. I just couldn't do it. So What'd you run that I, one in? That one was my fastest one at 487, 488. Okay. But it was just something that I needed to... They needed they needed something faster on paper to bring you into camp. That's basically yeah. what happened. And I'm sorry, I would get very frustrated. So now I'm teaching these kids how to get as fast as possible, so they don't have to run into this situation, basically. But then I played another couple seasons of arena football, and then uh, it led me to uh, buying into this gym here at home. What are you most proud of? You know, when you think about that that trajectory, I think honestly, I was most proud of going back. And showing the people that I could still do it. Like after I played my rookie season, I knew that was, you know, I was right after college, I was still in shape. And then I took that 2015 season off and I had a lot of regrets when I took that season off. Like it was hit. I was watching my friends, my friend, Nick Hague, who took my position because I didn't play. Well, we were battling for our position anyway. He had taken uh, the position that I played for the Cedar Rapids team and he signed to the Indianapolis Colts. And I'm thinking in my head, you know, if I never stopped playing, that could have been me. Am I really going to like, you know, at the time it was, I'm so dramatic, but I, at the time I was like, I'm really going to choose love over football right now. Like, you know, love could always be there. I'm only going to be 25 for this long. Yeah. So I was, a lot of resentment was built up towards that person that I was with at the time. And I was just like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, I'm going to be mad at you for my whole life if I don't go play anyway. So I'm just going to go play. And I think that was when I went back and played in 2016 and I played better than I did in 2014. I think that was like my proudest moment of like getting myself into the best shape and being able to like realize that like football was my calling. Like that was it. Like I'm really good. What do you think your dad would say, you know, if he had been around to see you over the last 10, 15 years? Um, he would be extremely proud, I think. I don't think that he would be upset at all. He always wanted me to play soccer, obviously, because he's, he's just his back, Italian background. You know, I was a really good soccer player back in the day, but I just had got way too big. There's no 240-pound soccer players running around out there. But uh, he would have been very proud of me. I think he would have been, honestly, he would have been like kind of astonished at some of the plays that I was making. I was a little confused at some of these one-handed interceptions I ended up making. Like I never thought I would be that athletic to even make these jump up. and catch. I could always jump, but I was got so nimble and smaller and I was making plays that I had no business making, to be honest, whether it was the studying of the film of the, the, the film and the working out and the flexibility, everything in one, just coming together and just my performance, just being better than it ever was. Do you feel like, you know, an underdog in life? I mean, I feel like, you know, you've come up against so much in your professional career uh, where maybe, you know, a lot of people would have said, that's it. Like he's done. And, and you kept, you know, fighting back up. Does that yeah, theme I, kind of overarch the field? I think so. I think I was always like a person an inch too small for my position, even though I'm not small, but like football, I was six foot, 240. I, if I, everyone else was six two, two forty. 240. Um, I don't have the prototypical body type. I have, I'm built like a, you ever seen Toy Story? Yeah. You know, Sid? Yeah. Kind of puts the arm on, <laughs> 
do the arm on this, the leg on this, yep. the leg from something else, the head on something else. That a lot of my teammates used to call me Sid from Toy Story because I was built much different than like I wasn't the prototypical six foot two, perfectly jacked middle linebacker. I was like, you know, a little rough around the edges, but I was still making plays that everyone else, you know, was making at that at that level. So I definitely took the underdog role my whole life, to be honest, and used it. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, that I've seen in you, you know, as a person. Um, and that's something that's kind of stuck out to me is, you know, like I said, at the very onset of, of the recording, I saw something in you where it was like, I have every reason to believe that this person may not actually be a good trainer. He just may just be in really good shape. But yeah, well, you are a good trainer and, yeah. and you, you proved my initial instinct wrong really quickly. Um, and I say this knowing that, you know, I've worked with a lot of really, really good trainers, um, you know, in the New York city area. Um, so it wasn't my first go around, but yeah, no, but there was something (sighs) different that I noticed, um, you know, about how you approached it, where it was like, this is the kind of person that, you know, has been proving people wrong for a good amount of time. And he applies that in in everything that he does. And, you know, that kind of brings forth a level of respect. Um, and, and I commend you for that. I appreciate you know, it. I appreciate it. Thank if you, you had sure. to give one piece of advice to, you know, the athlete out there who is going through a similar situation, right. You know, whether it be the loss of a loved one or whether it just be, you know, an, a troubled period in life because of the fact that now things are just so competitive, right? And you can yeah. look at a lot of people out there who maybe are being fed with silver spoons and, and have a, you know, what's yeah. perceived to be a straighter path to success. Of Your course. path was not straight. You know, what yeah. piece of advice do you have for those younger athletes? I mean, I think the best piece of advice I could give to a younger athlete who, you know, who didn't, who's not the five-star recruit that goes to Shaman or St. Anthony's that's already got full rides and it's, someone that's like a two or three star, not even a no star that they just want to play college football is that basically it's, I mean, it's as cliche as it sounds like if you don't believe in yourself that you could actually do it, you're not going to do it. Like if you, you truly have to believe like yourself that you're going to be able to do the things that you want to do. You it's, and, and that word potential that gets thrown out there a lot is the worst word in the history of words because potential means nothing. Yeah. You have to go, you have to go out and execute it. Because no one ever got paid off of potential. No one gets a check because their potential is good. It's what can you do for me like now? Not, not what can you maybe do for me? You have the potential to do this. No, you need, to, you need to go get it done yourself. And obviously people along the way will help you. You'll find the right people that will guide you. But you have to believe in yourself 100%. And then from a training standpoint, whatever you're bad at is what you have to do. So like if you're a football player, and you lack physicality, you need to lift weights. If you're a football player and you lack speed, you need to run. Everyone wants to go to the gym and do what they're good at. Like, you, it's the same thing, the difference between me and you. you. When you go to the gym, you could go run 10 miles easy on the treadmill. But then all of a sudden, I make you do five sets of five push day, shoulders, chest, and triceps. By, you know, minute 25 or 30, you're done. But yeah. that's what's going to make you the person that you want to be and a more well-rounded person, which makes you a better athlete. Yeah. Where someone like me, I do 20 minutes on the treadmill. I feel like I played six quarters of football. I feel like I played two games. But that's what I need to do to become the better version of myself. Yeah. So yeah. whatever you, you're not good at, you have to practice doing. 
is the best advice I can give them from a training standpoint Absolutely. to believe in yourself as well. It's that, you know, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, exactly. You know, and, and finding yourself and uh, yeah. outside of your comfort zone. Exactly. Um, you know, you, you spoke about your grandpa. So, you know, aside from him, who would you say is the most, has been the most influential person throughout your journey? You know, even if it was just like one coach that, you know, did one thing at one point that flipped a switch for you. Um, I think uh, coach Amir Ishmael, um, he was a, my, he was a rookie coach. He was a thir- very young coach, 32 year old coach in Cedar Rapids when it was my rookie year, when I was 24 years old. He's actually a D coordinator. Congratulations. He just got uh, the D coordinating job at uh, Lake Erie College, Division II school. The head coach is Anquan Bolden's brother, which is also pretty cool, too. Um, he also came from a similar situation where he wasn't like, you know, the six foot three guy. He was a, like a little taller than me, to be honest. He was Egyptian, half white, half Egyptian. He actually got invited to an NFL minicamp uh, for Kansas City Chiefs. Herm Edwards was the head coach. And he had told me about his basically his two week stint in Kansas City and what he had done wrong and what he maybe could have done right. And a lot of it is politics as well. Yep. But he basically, I've never seen a, someone outwork like he was. He was he was going harder in the gym two hours a day at thirty two years old than the, our whole team was. I used because we used to go to the gym together. And he used to do his own thing. We did the football player workouts, and I used to watch him work out. I'm like just thinking in my head, what is wrong with you? Like, well, why are you working out for two hours like this? And he's just like, I, I know nothing else. He's like, I just know nothing else. I need to out-train everyone. That's what he did. And he just helped me realize that just the, and he also was the first person to be like, oh, by the way, uh, flour and uh, red meat and all that fat is bad for you. And like, uh, he made me the first person to be nutrition conscious, which also kind of helps me with my job today. Yeah. But he would be the one that would be telling me like with my body type, you know, I have to stay away from flour, have smaller meals. He was the first person to let me know that diet, how important diet was. Diet was in your, to, to change your just recovery process, your performance and all of that. So coach Amir Ishmael. That's yep. Awesome. What a legend that guy is. That's awesome. He, he played at Western Michigan actually. Awesome. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that your story really speaks for itself. There's a lot of people out there who, who gave up early on in that trajectory. And what they see in you is someone who just never gave up, who never, who never stopped, and who kept pushing. Do you have any further ambition for yourself right now You know, in, in the training world? Um, I, right now, we're at a pretty decent-sized facility, but um, not. I would say within the next two or th- eh, maybe even a little less, about two, I would say two years, two or three-year window, um, me and a couple of trainers here well, are going to try to open up a much bigger facility so we can start getting some travel teams in here and doing some speed and agility work like this and just make it a, I would just a, a full, like just a full facility where it has like a yoga studio or like a strip of turf where we could just train groups of teams and just get a real facility going on. I'm trying to compare it to a facility that's already exists, but there's really nothing like this in the, in the Island. Most of these facilities are like, all in the South or in Florida or in LA or Scottsdale or something like that. Just, and then possibly bring in prospects here. And I can maybe one day start training NFL prospects that are from this area, the Stony Brook kids, the CW post kids that have a shot and eventually work one-on-one with them and get them ready for their pro days and stuff like that would be a, 
something that I would look forward to doing. Gotcha. I love to see your ambition at work, man. You know, I think that one thing that's become evident to me is that you've taken what, you know, those mentors in your life have given to you. And I see you, you know, turning into that now for those kids out there who you train now. And, you know, you said it yourself, you kind of help to reshape uh, the local area as a football town. And, And no doubt about it, as someone who is completely coming in from the outside, who had no background on your district, you know, I came in and I just see it kind of live at work every day. So keep doing what you're doing. You're definitely making an impact. I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, our friendship and what you've done for me. And I just want to say thank you for, for coming on board today. This was, you know, really impactful. And I think that there's a lot of lessons to be heard here. Thank you, Bishoy. Thank you for the uh, opportunity. You got it. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 Podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.